This morning, we're going to continue our theme on the subject of the entire counsel of God, and we're concentrating upon the scriptures as being the word of God. For the past three assemblies of our messages dealing with the scriptures, we found out that the Bible is the word of God and that it has been given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and that it alone is the only rule to direct and guide us in our lives, that the Bible is the sole rule of faith and practice. We do not look to outside sources to determine God's will and our duty, but we look to the Bible. We found that the significance of this is that this authority of the scriptures extends to all areas of life. There are no areas of life which are exempt of duty to that which is revealed in God's word. And then we found last Sunday that the perilous condition that exists in modern times that has come about as a result of man losing the authority of God's word. And we found that there were some factors that brought this about. We gave you two of them, and that was the subtlety of the liberal scholarship in our seminaries, and then the failure of fundamental Bible-believing people to preach and to teach the Word of God in a proper fashion. Now today, we want to address ourselves to this subject, and that involves the hearing of the word, but not the doing of the word. That is, that here is one of the great needs of our present age in our churches, is that we become doers of the word of God rather than hearers only. And so we'd ask the question, what one distinguishing factor indicates that our churches has lost the authority of God's word? If we look out across the land and we could see the conditions that exist throughout our land in the religious realm, if we could just pick one factor that would be an indication that within our churches we have lost the authority of God's word, what would that be? And I would answer in this slide. And that is the fact that our churches are filled with people who are hearers of the word but not doers of the word. I want to read to you several passages of Scripture. We'll not ask you to turn with us to them because we do not plan on commenting on them, but we will be taking our message from Ezekiel chapter 33 today. You might be turning there, but I want to read to you several passages of Scripture which set forth the terrible deception that a person can get into in regard to his soul when he thinks that because he hears the word, yet if he doesn't do it, the terrible dilemma that comes upon that individual. Reading from Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now we want to note that as we're going to be reading these scriptures. He that doeth, not he that saith or heareth, but he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 50, Christ was asked the question, Who is one's brother and sister? And he said, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Luke chapter 11 and verse 28. He was asked, he was given a great tribute by a woman who said, Oh, how blessed the woman must have been 
whose womb bare you and whose paps uh, you did suck from. And so she was giving a great tribute. What an honor it must have been for Mary to have delivered this person, Jesus. But Jesus replied to her with these words. But he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Then in Romans chapter 2 and verse 13, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. James chapter 1 and verses 22 through 24. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now listen carefully. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Well, how is it possible for a person to deceive themselves? I can understand how that someone else might deceive me, but how can I deceive my own self? He goes on and says, If any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his face in the glass, for he beholdeth himself, and then goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Here a man comes, and he looks in a mirror, and he sees himself, and he says, yes, that's true. I acknowledge that is true. That's me. But then he goes his own way without submitting himself unto that truth. That is, if he needs correcting here or there, he does not make that correction. He goes on his way, and he deceives himself into thinking he has performed his duty. So every morning he may go and look in the mirror and say, yes, that's me, that's me. But he never makes any of the corrections necessary as to what that mirror is to there for, and he thinks he's performing his duty, but he's deceiving himself therein. All right, now one more scripture, James chapter seven, uh, 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. There's a great deception, beloved, throughout the land in our churches, and we're not just talking about the liberal churches which deny the deity of Christ, we're talking about the evangelical churches which uphold the blood, which believe in the virgin birth, which believe in being uh, converted and so forth. And that is this, that as long as we come and hear that that's all our duty is, yet if we stop with that, we deceive ourselves and there's going to be some perilous consequences as a result of it. Now, what causes lead up to this deception? Why can so many people be hearers of the word and not really doers of the word? Now, we invite your attention there to that passage in Ezekiel, and I hope you've turned there in the 23rd verse and verse 23, uh, through verse 33, I'm sorry. What causes lead to an individual deceiving themselves as they listen to God's word. You may be listening this morning, but are you hearing? Are you hearing? He that hath ears, let him hear. And beginning in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 23, now listen as we read, here is describing a people, not a people which denied God, not a people which dared shake their fist and say God is dead, and if he is alive, let him strike me down dead. This is not the people that the Bible is describing here. But listen what kind of people these were. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 23. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, they that inhabit those wastes of the land of Israel speak, saying. That is, here's what the people, the Jewish people, are saying that inhabit the land of Israel. 
Abraham was one, and he inherited the land, but we are many. The land is given us for inheritance. We're the people of God. We have the presence of God. Therefore, we have an assurance that we're in a right relationship with God. We've descended from Abraham. Wherefore, say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Ye eat with the blood, and lift up your eyes toward idols, and shed blood, and shall ye possess the land? You claim to be the people of God, and yet you give evidence that you're like the heathen. Shall ye possess this land? Wherefore, uh, you stand upon your sword, you work abomination, you defile everyone his neighbor's wife. Shall ye possess the land? You do these abominable things, and yet you still claim to be descendants of Abraham and have the faith of Abraham? Say thou thus unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, As I live, surely they that are in the waste shall fall by the sword. Him that's in the open field will I give to the beast to be devoured. And they that are in the forts and in the caves shall die of the pestilence. For I will lay the land most desolate, and the pomp of her strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be desolate that none shall pass through. Then shall they know that I am the Lord, when I have laid the land most desolate because of all their abominations which they have committed. Now listen carefully to these next verses. I want you to, to view what, how these people conducted their religious assemblies. Now listen carefully. Also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people come, and they set before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice, and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come, then they shall know that a prophet hath been among them. Now let's look at some things about this description of these individuals who, we said, were the external people that God had claimed for a possession natural descendants of Abraham. Now, they had some false deceptions that they were depending upon. What were these? And the first one is seen in verse 24. And that was their religious experience was based on a false conversion, upon a false conception of conversion. They claimed Abraham was one, and he inherited the land, And therefore, they were claiming to be the descendants of Abraham. And Jesus dealt with the same issue, beloved, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, with the Jewish people some 500 generations later. They were still claiming the same thing. Let's go to John. Hold your finger there in Ezekiel, and let's go to the New Testament book of John, chapter 8, and see how the Lord dealt in person with the individuals who claimed to be the people of God, but they gave no evidence in their life of being the people of God. In John chapter 8 and verse 30, find it here in just a moment. 
Then spake Jesus to those Jews who believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, incidentally, here's a group of people that made a profession of faith. They were impressed that Jesus was the Messiah. But I want you to know what he told them. He said, if you continue in my word, then you're truly my disciples. That is, you say you believe in me. The proof that you are my people will be in the evidence that you follow me, that you are one of my disciples. Then, they, then that began to offend them. And they said, uh, he said in verse 32, You shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Then answered they, We are Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. I note that. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Well, what, what do you mean talking about freedom? We were never in bondage to anybody. And here you're talking about us need to be set free. See, they had no understanding of what the new birth, the new creation is. They had intellectually assented that Christ was the Messiah, and yet Jesus said, you say that, you follow me now, and that will prove that you are one of my people. Now then we go on, Jesus answered them, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me. Because my word hath no place in you. In verse 39, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto him, If ye were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Then, but now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Now they begin to get real mad at this point. I want you to know how Jesus dealt with them, though. He's saying that if you were truly Abraham's seed, you would have the fruit that was in Abraham's life. Abraham was a great man of faith. He was a great man. He went out and looked for that city which had foundations whose builder and maker was God. But he says, you don't have that fruit. And therefore he tells them, he that heareth God's, is of God, heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Now notice, that's the same people that just a few moments before had made an intellectual profession of faith that they believed that he was the Messiah. And he's told them, you're not of God, because you don't hear God's words. Now you see, beloved, he's saying that here, if we have a true conversion, it is going to evidence itself in a new creation taking place. And that's what they didn't like. And there's a lot of people who don't like that today. But these individuals that are hearers of the word and not doers, they have deceived themselves into thinking that because they had a certain experience back here, then they were converted. But my friend, Abraham was one. He inherited the land. But yet, if he... If they claim to be the people of God without the evidence of a new creation, then they are resting upon a false conversion. Not only a false conversion was their religious experience based on, but they had a false spirit. A false spirit. In verse 24, they reasoned again back in Ezekiel. He, speaking of Abraham, inherited the land, but we are many. 
That is, Abraham was just one. He had the land, but look at all these people were many. And they had a false sense of God's presence, of his spirit, because of this reason. They believed that as long as they were surrounded by others who believed the same thing and lived the same way, then they must be pleasing to the Spirit of God. And that's a deception, beloved. That is a deception. In believing that as long as we are surrounded by other people who believe the same thing and live the same way, therefore, on the basis of that, we must have God's Spirit in our midst. That's a deception. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, now notice their argument was, we're many, we're many. A lot of people believe the same thing, live the same way, therefore it must be right. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 22, many will say unto me in that day. Now notice the many. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. Um, here is comes to the final judgment. And individuals are so assured that they have a title into the presence of God that they would say, well, we've done many wonderful works, and many are going to fall into that category. Now note, many people are believed, are deceived into believing they have the presence of the Holy Spirit simply because they're surrounded by many people and observing many wonderful works taking place. Oh, the deception of much of modern evangelism, which thinks that as long as it has huge crowds, this must be an evidence of the Spirit of God. That's a deception, beloved. And as long as there's many wonderful works taking place around us, this must be God. That's a deception, beloved. It may be or it may not be. Crowds and many activities, zeal and enthusiasm, are not necessarily an indication and a guarantee that God's presence is in the midst of that people. Oh, we be many. Abraham was just one, and look, God gave him the land. We be many. Therefore, we must have the Spirit of God in our presence. And they were deceived into thinking this. Then this led to a false assurance. They said the land is given unto us for an inheritance. False assurance is the product of a false teaching, a false conversion, and a false spirit. Now hear me carefully. I don't have time to comment on this. We have to pass it, let it pass. But hear me this. We'll bear it out in some other sermon. It's possible for you to be converted and not have assurance. But it's equally possible for you to have assurance and not be converted. Make sure that it's based upon the right thing. Many people have an assurance that they're in a right relationship with God and they've never experienced real saving conversion. And yet many people have had a saving conversion and they've not yet reached a place whereby of assurance that they have. We haven't time to substantiate this. We'll have to cover that in another fashion. But these individuals, they were convinced you couldn't have shaken them. The prophet Ezekiel couldn't shake them, that they weren't in a right relationship with God. They had a false assurance. Now let's look at their religious activity. Look how that they came to the assemblies. Their religious activity was a mockery of God and his prophets. And they fulfilled the works of Christ and words of Christ in Matthew chapter 7, or 15, verses 7 through 9. Here he quotes these words of Isaiah. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their lips, and honoreth me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. 
But in vain they do worship me, teaching the doctrines, the commandments of men. Now let's look at these people very briefly here. These people, we notice in verse 30, have your Bibles there, I want you to see this. Ezekiel 33:30. Notice their interest in the hearing of the Bible. They said, come, I pray you, and hear what the word is that cometh from the Lord. They invited people to church. They invited people to church. They wanted them to come and to hear the word of the Lord. And yet, in all of this, there was something lacking. Now let's go on. Look in verse 31. They came, though, for an inferior reason or an inferior end. Notice the words, they come unto thee as the people come. They come unto thee as the people come. Why did these individuals come? They came because other people came. They come as it is the habit of the people to come. They did not come out of a conscience toward duty, toward God, but they came out of custom, fashion, tradition, whatever reason they may came, but they came. Now, it's all well and good for us to talk about people 500 years ago and 2,000 years ago, but I ask you that are here this morning, why have you come to this assembly today? Why have you come? Have you come out of a sense of conscience of your duty toward God, or have you come merely because it's the fashionable thing at 11 o'clock in Osceola, Missouri, for people to go to the First Baptist Church? Is that the reason you've come? Maybe it's the tradition that you've done this for years. Is that the reason you've come to church today? Maybe it's a custom you've got into. Oh, my friend, I would look deeply to see whether or not that because I just came today that it is out of a conscience of duty toward God or whether I've just come to be another hearer only rather than a doer of God's word. Now then notice another thing. These individuals, they had many things that they came to do. And we would give a note at this point. Those who have no internal love for the ordinances of God may yet be found often in the external observance of those ordinances. I'll give you a couple examples. Cain brought a sacrifice, but he had no love to God. The Pharisee went up the temple to pray, but yet he was a hypocrite. Here were two individuals which observed the external ordinances of God's duty, but they had no internal love for God. I hope God would give you spiritual discernment to look out, and when you see a church busting apart at the seams, don't just automatically write on there, that's God working. It may be or it may not be. Just because you see people observing external ordinances and sacrifices and going to the temple to pray doesn't mean the Spirit of God's in that temple. They were going there when Christ came, and yet you'll look in the book of Ezekiel, and he'll tell you the Spirit of God left that temple some 500 years before Christ ever came. And yet there was much praying, much sacrificing going on within the realm or confines of that temple. These individuals, they came to hear the word of God, but they came for a wrong reason. Then these individuals, they behaved themselves reverently when they came into the assembly. Notice verse 31, they set before thee as my people. 
They came and their minds didn't wander around and thinking about what's going to take place as soon as they were dismissed from the assembly. They came and they sat as the people of God sat. They didn't come to whisper, to laugh, to gaze about or sleep in church. They came to hear what the prophet had to say. Now that's more than what much could be said of many individuals who go to church today who do not behave themselves decently in the house of God. But these individuals, they came and they sat reverently before the prophet, as the prophet expounded the word of God as the true people of God. And they were attentive as the word was preached. Verse 31, and they hear thy words. They weren't thinking about something outside. They listened and they heard what Ezekiel told them to do. They were interested in what he was saying. They took notice as what was being said, and I imagine some of them probably even said a few amens. But yet we come down to all of this, and the prophet is told, but they will not do them. They hear, they hear, they hear, but they will not do what Ezekiel, the mouthpiece of God, said to do. Notice they pretended respect for their prophet. Verse 31, with their mouth they show much love. I have no doubt that if Ezekiel stood by the door of the assembly, as I do, that many of them went out and said, Oh, I really appreciated that message, Ezekiel. I like to hear you preach. I enjoyed that. But I imagine they went out also like this, and they would say, Keep preaching on sin, Ezekiel. That's what God wants you to preach on. Those wicked Babylonians, they deserve judgment. We're standing behind you. Now, what was their problem? They saw that when the prophet spoke on the judgment of the wicked, it was always the individuals who were on the outside that were the wicked ones. They never saw any wickedness within their own confines of their heart. How many of you, when the prophet preaches... And God begins to deal with something out of his word with sin. You say, boy, he sure hit old Brother John, didn't he? And you look over and you see if Brother John's flinching a little bit. Boy, he's sure hitting those out here in this organization, and he's sure hitting them out here, isn't he? But it's never an examination of the own heart. Those Babylonians deserve the wrath and judgment of God. Preach on it, Ezekiel. God's going to judge them. Yet God's message was to the wicked, and they never saw themselves as wicked. Hearers, 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 but not doers of the word of God. Then look at their self-seeking spirit, verse 31. This is a most interesting verse. I hope that we can get through with this. We have to close in just a few moments. But I want you to look at this verse. Why did these individuals go to church? Now, some people like to go to church, and yet they're as lost as they can be, go every Sunday. But why did these individuals like to go to church? Let me show you why. And lo, thou art unto them, that is the prophet, as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear thy words, but they will not do them. You know why they went to church? They went to church to be entertained by the prophet. Now look about this prophet. 
God says to Ezekiel, they're to you, you're to them, as one who has a very lovely voice. They like to hear you speak. And you're to them like one that plays on an instrument. They like to hear you perform. And they enjoy what you're doing. But Ezekiel, they will not do the words which you say. You see, they went to be entertained rather than have their duty exposed to them. Let me ask you a question. Why do you go to a certain religious con- or to a certain concert? Why do you go to an opera? Why do you go to the Grand Ole Opry? Why do you go to a rock concert? Is it not to be entertained? Is that not the reason? How many of you the last time, maybe some of you have never been to an opera, but how many is the last time you've ever been to maybe a, a real nice symphony? And you went there for the sole reason of that you wanted to hear that violin play, and then you was going to take that violin home, and you was going to put it in your life, and you was going to learn how to play it. Is that the way you went? No. What happened? You went to be entertained. You had no intention of all of taking one of those instruments home with you and making it part of your life. Now, God says, Ezekiel, that's what they're doing with you. They don't come to hear the duty that they have that I would give to them, but they come, they watch you preach. They like the way you raise your voice and lower it. And they like the way you move your arms and the certain actions that, it, that you take. They like your gestures. They like your illustrations. You're a smooth speaker to them. And they've come for a reason just to have their own feelings entertained and worked upon, but they have not come to have their duty revealed unto them. Now, why don't they? Because he hits it right here. They have a heart of covetousness. That is that they've come, but yet all the time they're there, their heart is still set on self and what they're going to do just as soon as they get out. As soon as they leave, they shake hands and it's all over. Just a few minutes later, they've forgotten completely what you've had to say. They may remember how that you may have emphasized a point here and there, but they run right back to their fields, to their families, to their jobs, and that's the last thought they have of the duty that I would have them to do until they come the next time into the assembly. Beloved, that's deception. These individuals were deceived. And may I say from the depths of my heart as my spirit is broken as I look out across this great land in which we live, and I see churches throughout the land that people come week after week after week, and they may like their pastor, they may enjoy what he preaches, but they do not take the word of God that is presented as into their bosom and make the performance of that duty. And, oh, my friend, on the authority of God's word, many, many, many will say unto me in that day, well, haven't we done this, Lord? Don't you know we went to church? Don't you know that we performed wonderful works? We taught a class. We sang. We even preached. Depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. This is your life that he's talking about. It's my life he's talking about. Oh, beloved, don't be deluded into a false assurance by a false spirit that's been produced by false teaching 
that everything's rosy on your part when if you just come to hear and you think that that's all your duty then is to God, you've heard without taking that duty into your life and giving evidence of a new man, old things passing away and all things becoming new. Don't look in the mirror. Sunday after Sunday, and intellectually assent, yes, Brother Gables is saying the truth. And then leave this building and not take that truth within your bosom. And having that sanctified by the grace of God in Jesus Christ to where it has a changing effect upon your life. Because if that isn't the case, then you're like an individual who comes and beholds himself in the mirror ever so often, then goes and forgets what kind of a man he is. And James says he deceives his own soul. It's possible for me to deceive you, but it's also possible for you to deceive yourself. May God help you. May God help us today search ourselves. And not just think, well, I don't like the preacher, or maybe some of you here, you may like, you may be sort of tickled with the way that my peculiar characteristics of speaking. You may uh, like the way, well, he raises his eyebrows, and oh, I like to see him do that. Or I like to see him raise his hand. <laughs> and I like him when he really gets up on a point and then brings it back down. Oh, I, that, I enjoy that. Yes. You can go out here to the rodeo this afternoon and get the same enjoyment seeing somebody roll off of a cow, too, you see. What's the difference? But will you take God's Word into your bosom, that which God reveals to be your duty, and forget about the preacher, forget about the peculiar characteristics that I have in delivering a sermon, and take it within your bosom and say, I came to church today to hear God's duty, what he wants of me, and by the grace of God, I'm going to claim his promises to give me the ability to do that duty, to carry it out, to give evidence that I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. Let's stand, let's bow.